is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day, welcome to Fortune Has 164, operating on January 16th, 2023. This is Doug, an airline pilot, and I'm here with my buddy Drew, an airline ops manager, private pilot trainee. We're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. We have, Drew, we have an incredibly fun episode in store this week. As things go in aviation, we're not quite sticking to the travel plans we mentioned last episode. We're going to talk more on that later. Doug, we're finally doing it. This episode is, this episode is years on the drawing board and minutes in the making. <laughs> we literally decided in the moment when you call me about this trip. Literally, we planned this whole trip on what we could salvage of it in just minutes. Listeners, come along with us as we step out of our full-service airline comfort zone and step into the world of ultra-low-cost carrier. The term ultra-low-cost carrier is relatively new, and it's a subset of the broader term low-cost carrier. As we've mentioned in previous episodes, people tend to think that the term comes from the fact that LCCs generally offer lower fares to passengers than their larger full-service competitors. While the fares are usually quite a bit lower, the term actually stems from the fact that these types of airlines have lower cost structures and are then able to pass the savings on to their customers by way of discounted tickets. So LCCs are able to keep their costs lower through many different ways, some of which include single fleet type, which means lower crew training costs and lower maintenance costs. They have a younger workforce and higher employee turnover thus keeping payrolls lower than competitors, higher fleet utilization, which leads to additional revenue per airframe, higher density seating configurations, which lowers the cost per available seat mile, or the cost it takes to fly one seat one mile. These airlines often serve secondary airports instead of the main airport in a city, which usually means lower fees. Some of the most well-known LCCs around the world include AirAsia, Scoot, Ryanair, Indigo, EasyJet, and, of course, Southwest. Most people think that Southwest was the original low-cost carrier, but that actually isn't the case. While Southwest was a low-cost pioneer, and the model that most LCCs around the world have tried to duplicate, the title of the first LCC actually goes to PSA, or Pacific Southwest Airlines. Yeah, Pacific Southwest Airlines, that was actually my first airline experience. I didn't work for them, but I was contractor for the ramp for them. In CCR, Concord, which we talked about. The smiling, what would you call it? The Smile of Concord. The Smile of Concord. They literally had a BAE 146 that was named after this little city, suburb of San Francisco. Anyway, PSA was an airline that mainly served destinations in California, then later expanded to nearby states on the West Coast. It was founded in 1949, and through its history, operating planes such as the DC-3, the Lockheed Electra, Boeing 727, DC-9, and even the L-1011. Can you believe that? Yeah. For a low-cost carrier? They were using it from LA to San Francisco. I was reading. They had two of them, and that was the only route that it flew, was just shuttling people up and down the coast between the two largest cities on the West Coast. And I believe it had a lower deck ball. Yes, I believe it did. Yeah, so, yeah, we were talking about, can you imagine being a pilot on that? Yeah. You know where you're going every time. To me, it would be boring. But, well, great airplane flight, yeah. but boring flying the same route over and over again. PSA eventually merged with the U.S. Air in 1988, leaving Southwest as a leading LCC in the U.S. In the past three decades, several other LCCs have emerged in the U.S. market, including Spirit in 1990. I didn't realize Spirit was that old. Me neither. Frontier, the new Frontier in 1994. We've had episodes with Matt talking mm-hmm. about the old Frontier. The new Frontier was 1994, and Allegiant in 1998. Can I stop you for a second? Yeah. So during this trip, we were talking about 
even the new frontier is different from what the new frontier was a few years ago. Yeah, it's it, we'll talk about it, but it was a, today was a totally different experience than the frontier that I used to fly yep. ten years ago. Not wanting to lose seats to these new competitors, many legacy carriers tried to low-cost subsidiaries like Continental Light, U.S. Air Metrojet, Delta Express, Shuttle by United, and then later Song, which is a Delta brand, and TED, which is a United brand. All of the aforementioned subsidiaries were gone by 2010, with network carriers instead favoring a new type of ticket offering called Basic Economy that allowed customers to book LCC-type tickets while still flying on mainline flights. So let's stop for a moment. So none of those carriers worked. No. Metrojet with US Airways. It was a great livery though. That great red, livery. That red like top. Opposite, you know, it's like a, the opposite of the regular because it's blue on top. Blue on top, it's red on the bottom. And Metrojet was bright red on top, blue yeah. on the bottom. Then you had Continental Light, you had United Shuttle, Song. None of these worked. And to be honest, I knew that none of these worked because you're actually adding costs. Yeah. You're adding another product with sometimes different uniforms, different liveries, all that adds costs, and that, that defeats the purpose. But it looks like the majors, or the larger airlines, have found a solution with mm-hmm. these basic, basic economy, economy. right? So, in, in the mid-2000s, facing financial pressures following September 11, the Iraq War, rising oil costs, and the financial crisis, some LCCs were differentiating themselves by completely unbundling fares, and instead moving to an a la carte menu of options Customers pay for what they want, including printing boarding pass. Can you imagine? You pay pay five dollars to print a paper boarding pass at the airport instead of at home. Right. Like, hey, you wait until you get to the airport. That'll be five dollars. <laughs> <laughs> or bringing a carry-on bag, which will go all. Just wait. We got a whole um, lots of information on that. A <laughs> <laughs> whole rant on that. Yeah. Yeah. It's most of our talk. Um, <laughs> this new model was termed ultra low cost or ULCC. Yeah. And we're, we're going to get into our trip here in a little bit, but doing this research was pretty fascinating. I, I knew that PSA was an airline. I didn't realize that they were an LCC. I, I, just, I just assumed that they were like all the other airlines but, of the time. But, you know, when you look back, their service on the West was no different than a United or an American flight from L.A. to San Francisco. Yeah. They, were just, they were just lower priced because that, that was their niche. You couldn't fly them to London. You can fly them to Hawaii. They just did these sort of things. But as far as service, you know, you got a free drink. It wasn't anything. You didn't pay for a carry-on. Yeah. Well, and PSA was formed prior to deregulation. They were formed in 1949. Mm-hmm. And until 1978, they could only fly within California. Mm-hmm. And the model, everyone again, like, like we read here in the notes, everyone thinks that Southwest was the original LCC. Yeah. And, and that everyone uses their model, which generally they do. But Southwest, in a way, copied PSA because their first routes were only intra-Texas. They could not fly outside of the state of Texas until after deregulation. PSA had been doing this for 25, 30 years when Southwest even started. Right. Yeah, they had already been doing it. And along the way, there were a bunch of carriers, which you might think were low-cost, but not really. So I worked for this little airline called Reno Air. It was not a low-cost model. We had a first class. There was a nice cabin. We offered free drinks and all that. We were just talking about, even before that, there was a Midwest Express not low fare at all. No. If no. anything, higher fare. Well, uh, I, I don't remember what the fares were, but but th- this is this is where there's this melding, and, and people think 
low cost carrier means low fares. Right. It doesn't. It it, it means that their cost, their cost structure is lower as as opposed to the fare structure. So Midwest Midwest Express, which later became Midwest Airlines, they I, I don't know what their fares were like, mm-hmm. but they did have a low cost structure compared to a lot of other airlines. But they had we were talking about it. They had all first class elements. They had DC nines and then later MB eighties that had it was two two mm-hmm. big plush leather first class seats that stretched the entire cabin, and then later it went back only about halfway, and they put some economy in the back because I think they figured out that while their customers loved them, that wasn't a sustainable model. I don't know. I can't remember if they were absorbed into Northwest or what happened with them. With with Northwest, Northwest bought a portion of them, bought a stake in them, but then they sold to Republic. I think uh, maybe it was, yeah. I, I don't. But ultimately, they ended up merging with Frontier. Frontier, Front, Frontier absorbed Midwest Airlines. Yeah, and then Reno Air was absorbed into American, and it's almost like these big carriers. They see these smaller airlines with a really good product. That is, they see them taking some of their higher yield customers. Mm-hmm. You can't have that. Yeah. <laughs> so you can you can. Uh, if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, well, so they end up just buying them. It's like we're, we're sitting here in Denver looking at a bunch of Southwest 737s. Mm-hmm. Southwest, what, yes, they, they were a startup back in the, what, the 60s, late, late 60s, early 70s. But Southwest today is a mix of Morris Air, right. Value Jet, yep. Airtran. Southwest had, had a lot of acquisitions along the way as well to get to where they are today. Yeah, that's true. All right, we have a lot to talk about regarding our trip and more about MCCs <coughs> that we want to get to. But first, we have to cover the biggest news story from this week, actually from yesterday, <laughs> something that we were able to experience firsthand. So when Deck and I travel, there's usually some drama there's something. that we don't expect. <laughs> yeah. Our first non-rev trip, two airlines were having a meltdown, and we were relegated to throwing darts just on the departure board to see where we could go. And this time, we wake up in the morning ready for our trip, and there's a... <laughs> There is a nationwide shutdown because um, it was discovered that the FAA's NOTAM system was not updating with any new notices that were issued. Now, NOTAM stands for Notice to Airmen, which it was. Now it is Notice to Airmission. (laughs) It was very quiet, sleight of hand, and I think everyone learned that it was officially changed to Notice to Airmissions yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think we mentioned it on a previous episode. So, notice to air missions, or NOTAMs, are safety alerts for pilots and are critical to the safe operation in the national airspace. The FAA, who is responsible for publishing NOTAMs, issued a nationwide ground stop for roughly three hours on Wednesday morning. And, let's see, so thousands of flights were delayed, several hundred were canceled due to the issues and the ensuing stop. The system was up and running again by 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Wednesday, but the rest of the day saw running delays at most airlines as crews and airplanes struggled to get back to their original schedules. First of all, how do you pronounce it again? Notam. It's Notam. You, you are the only person that I've ever heard say Notam. Everyone calls them Notams. Notice I understand how you get that, and this is like the Latam versus Latam <laughs> argument. But all all pilots hearing you say this right now, I can hear I can just see them cringing <laughs> when, well, when you say it. Yeah, I, in station ops, we do talk about no tams, no tams. and that is how everyone says. <laughs> so potato, potato, <laughs> no tam, no them. 
we'll talk about this with relating to our trip, but we woke up on when yesterday morning in Orlando to notifications on the phone about, uh-oh, there's issues with the FAA, and then we turn on CNN, MSNBC, Fox, you were going back and forth between all the networks, and this was this was all that was being covered at the time. And <laughs> Right before we're about to fly. Right before we're about to fly, yeah, we get in the Uber, and the Uber driver is like, wait, you sure you guys want to go to the airport? Yeah. Like, I wouldn't suggest doing that right now. We're like, well, we have to. Now, here's what's fascinating about this, and we've talked about this a little bit that the DOT has been pointing fingers at the airlines for months with the meltdowns, saying, you need to fix your crap. You need to get your act together. And then this happens to the FAA. And the airlines the airlines basically are like, you need to look in... in look in there. Yeah, what, what, what's the saying? Someone who lives in a glass house doesn't throw, right, shouldn't throw stones. Shouldn't throw stones. <laughs> it was funny because we were not stressed because... I think both of us were like, all right, here we go again. Whatever happens, this whatever happens, happens. And we're on a fun trip, so it wasn't like we're going to miss work or we're going to miss a wedding or something. So speaking of this no-tone issue. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so long. Um, speaking of the no-tone issue and the, the nationwide ground stop, I, we have not seen that since September 11th. Mm-hmm. This was a huge thing. And it wasn't a lot of traffic on the West Coast, but it was completely stopped on the East Coast. And I'm not working this week, so I'm looking at the feed from work and from our operations center. And it's crazy. I mean, people, everything stopped, and there's no updates. And finally, stuff starts trickling in that it should be coming online. And then, what was it, around 8, 8.30, stuff was coming up. Mm-hmm. So. I know that Washington, Dallas, and some other East Coast airports came up first, and then the rest of the country came up. In that yeah, day. I think 8.30 is when Atlanta and Newark were allowed to start launching flights. <laughs> what, what, what's a little bit different from the 9-11 events, it, 9-11, the entire airspace was closed. Yeah. This, airplanes that were already airborne, continue to their destinations. I saw a lot of GA. No, no, I'm, I'm saying this, mm-hmm. in, in this situation. I saw a lot of GA aircraft that were up and flying around, general aviation aircraft that were up and flying around. But with Drew and I, without trying to throw stones at the FAA and and rake them over the coals, what Drew and I were talking about yesterday was it's really interesting that this situation started Tuesday night, Mm -hmm. and it took them until Wednesday morning to issue a ground stop. NOTAMs are are incredibly important. Now, actually, we didn't really get into what NOTAMs are, and I think we might do a segment on them next week, but just in 30 seconds, these are are things that are issued to pilots and, and to airport operations as well, so they know what's going on, that if a runway is closed, if there's new minimums for an approach, if, if there's anything like that, they'll put it in the NOTAM. We have to review the NOTAM for the airports that we're operating to and also for our divert locations yep. to know can we go there, which runways are going to be open, which runways are going to be closed. So the fact that they were not able to update the NOTAMs, the, the pilots, were still, pilots were still able to see all of the previously published NOTAMs, but the system did not update. And something that I read was by the time they figured out that there was an issue, there were 900 NOTAMs, new NOTAMs nationwide that were not, that getting, were not released. getting released to the crews. So why did it take the FAA until the morning after they discovered this and why to did issue some, a ground stop? Why did some airlines, and I, I believe ours included, did an internal ground stop 
before mm-hmm. the FAA issued it, just yeah. out of safety concerns. What, like what the, um, the FAA just seems like they're behind the ball on a lot of things. So let me give you let me give you um, an example of how it could be a safety issue. So at, at Station Ops, we put in field conditions, and they're called FICONs. You're mm-hmm. going to tell me it's pronounced FICONs. No, no, it, it is FICONs. Yes, that, great yeah, job. I'm going to say FICONs, so it goes <laughs> just with no make, Just to make me mad. <laughs> The FICONs, which are field conditions, which we put in, if there's an eighth of an inch of snow on the gates in a certain area, we put that in. So if these notums aren't going through, the pilots wouldn't get that. And they would be taxiing in, not knowing what the conditions yeah. are at certain parts of the airport. That's just a small example. Can you think of one that would would be important that you as a pilot oh, would very, need to know? Very important, because if, if taxiways close mm-hmm. and we exit a runway... And we're because we, we set our brake setting, our, our the, the brakes that we're going to use when we land based on how we're going to exit mm-hmm. the runway. Yeah, yeah. And, and there could be a taxi, a high speed taxiway or a turnoff or something that we're planning to take and we're, we're braking for that. Yeah. But if, if the airfield closes that taxiway for repainting or construction, which they do all the time, and construction they're closed for months, but they, they might go out and fix spalls, which are like little breaks and cracks in the concrete, we need to know what our taxi plan is. And if if we're trying to exit the runway, and that's the first time that we're finding out that the high speed we were planning on taking is closed, if if it's, like, let's say it's relatively low visibility, and we we see the high speed that we were planning on taking, and we didn't have the notum saying that it was closed, Mm -hmm. if we start to make that turn and all of a sudden see, like, the big red X's telling us not to go that way, we might be stuck in a position where we can't maneuver the airplane Right. Again, that would then shut down the runway because we would be partially on the runway. We would have to get a tow. Again, this is no fault of our own. We wouldn't get in trouble for this, but that you could see how this could be a really bad situation where we're still partially on the runway and we can't go anywhere because we can't turn without leaving the paved surface. And, and it really could, could lead to a lot of bad issues. But where it could really be important is if they... And, we joke about this. We joke about how the noting system is kind of broken because we talk about an unlit crane four miles from the airfield, things like that. But we have our approach plates that we fly. Jepson is a company, it's a, a Boeing company that's in charge of making these approach plates. And if they find that there is something that penetrates our arrival, penetrates the glide slope, something like that, they'll put new minimums for the approach, and they'll put that in a notum until they're able to build it into the approach plate a month later in the next cycle. So let's say we're sitting here in Denver watching the arrivals. Let's say there's something out there on one of the arrivals that would drive minimums being higher so that a plane may not hit something. Right. Just as a precaution. Exactly. And if the notum gets published and and that is not disseminated to the crew, Mm -hmm. you could see where there could be a really big issue, a really big problem with that. Just to give you an idea, these these notums are ridiculous. So we look at the notums. So when I'm doing my private pilot training, I'm flying from a little airport just north of DC, and we're flying over the uh, the eastern shore and the Chesapeake Bay. Just for that done, there's like four pages of notums. Yeah. And you know, my instructor was like, "You don't have to worry about that. You're going to see this one every day because it's a certain military practice area. We're not even going to go close to it." But this thing, it's huge. And what did we say? When our airline used to print the flight plans, which includes the notums, mm-hmm. it was, imagine Fred Flintstone and them opening their map 
and the map actually is so long and it goes to the yeah. destination. You were talking about a there, no there was, and flight there was, an, there was an, airline, an airline pilot that had their dispatch print out and the, this individual put it in the jetway, starting at, at the the boarding door, and it stretched halfway up the jetway, and that was just the NOTAMs. That's why I said the NOTAM system is broken, and, and we, we all it talk really about is. it, because there could be a runway closure, and it's buried 50 NOTAMs down, and I have to go through crane, and, and we, I made the joke about this, but it's true. If we were to look at the Denver NOTAMs right now, mm-hmm. I guarantee there would probably be 40 talking about un, unlit <laughs> so tower, so many cranes right? unlit tower, four miles, 100 feet tall, four miles east of the airfield. Mm-hmm. If you're 100 feet above the ground, four miles east of the airport, you're in a lot of really big trouble. Right. And, and do I look at that note and say, oh, I better not be 100 feet before? No. Like, that kind of stuff does not need to well, be. Well, it should be. Season. So, yeah, and it's just a page after page, and you have to sift through to see what is... What is real? What could get you killed? Mm-hmm. Let's just make it simple. So there should be like a priority, like the things that are most important, that are on your flight path, they should be highlighted in some way. Or there should be tabs, you know, stuff that's in the vicinity and stuff that's on your route or at your airport. I'm just saying, I mean, as someone who's new to reading these notums for my own flying, it just seems so inefficient. Yeah. So open to possible oversight. I know. I, I've been doing it for a decade plus. I'm glad to hear you, someone who's new, frustrated with the system as well. I think we got it way too much into no tans and notums. That's good. We, we, don't, we don't have to cover it next week because I think we just covered, I think we covered we everything. Just <laughs> so, yeah, don't worry. Listen again next week. You're not going to have to hear us ramble about notums for another 15 minutes. Our next segment is something that we're really excited about, even though it didn't quite go as initially planned. As we mentioned last week, we were scheduled to fly on a Velo's inaugural flight from Orlando to my hometown of Dubuque, Iowa. Unfortunately, through no fault of a Velo's, the airport wasn't able to establish a TSA security plan in time for the inaugural, so the airline had to delay the launch. We received very personalized notification from the airline regarding the flight. Drew, what happened and how did they take care of us? Well, Doug, I got an email from Avello saying the flight's been canceled due to um, the issue at uh, Dubuque Airport. They were offering uh, quite a bit of money so that we can buy our own tickets and a $200 credit, which was awesome. But then shortly after I read that, I'm getting this call. And normally, you know, there's, there's these are sales and marketing calls, so I wouldn't normally answer. But I picked up, and it was uh, Travis, who's the head of marketing at Avella. I'm like, oh, my goodness. the head of mar-. And I was having brunch with Robbie. I'm like, I got to take this call. <laughs> so stopped the brunch, and then I had a converse- nice conversation with Travis. Really nice guy. So even though the flight was canceled, he was telling us how they're fixing it. And I was just really um, appreciated a personal phone call from the head of marketing, you know, for for this inaugural that we were really excited about. So we were upset about that. Yeah. But it was nice to get this this personal call. Yeah. And I, w- I was in a bunch of medical appointments on base and I had zero cell phone reception and I walk out. And all of a sudden, my phone blows up with messages from you, with a missed call from Travis, with a, te- a personalized text from him. It's not every day that an airline cancels a flight and someone as important as Travis reaches out to you telling you that the flight was canceled. So that was great. Doug, we, you know, we, we are really good at finding alternative flight plans yeah. <laughs> because we're airline employees, we're av geeks, we're non-revs. So we're actually on our trip. We're doing our low fare trip. And Avello is kind of bankrolling it, so thank you, Avello. <laughs> yeah, thank you. It's funny, yeah, you said we're on our low-cost trip right now, but 
so far we have only flown our airline. We're, we're sitting in Orlando. Yes, we are in the middle of this low fare, low cost carrier starting. trip. We are just starting. Uh, we're we're going to record along the way, so you'll listen to that later. But as luck would have it, we just so happen to land a very special guest this week. Joining us now is Avello's head of marketing, Travis Christ. Welcome, Travis. Hey, hi guys. Great to be with you. That was quite a circumstance that brought us together. <laughs> yeah, it really is, and we we love how this works out. This is great. I was pretty surprised when I no when I called you guys. We were calling our whole leadership team was we called all the customers that were impacted uh, on this flight both directions. And right away, Drew says, "Hey, I'm Drew from the Travel Podcast," and I was pretty <laughs> surprised to hear that. Uh, it was, <laughs> that was that was really that was really fun. So that we we all got lucky on that. But it was really important to us to do that uh, for our for our customers. This is an important inaugural. Dubuque bookings for us have been really strong. Everybody's excited awesome. about the community. It's been wonderful. It's been it's been great. So it, it, we were embarrassed that, that the whole thing happened like this, but we wanted to make the best of it, and we've gotten really nice feedback, like you guys just said. So we appreciate that very much. So Travis, you you guys started on the West Coast, and I remember a flight from Southern California to Santa Rosa. I believe that was your first. Um, now was, you're Bur- out on the Burbank, Santa Rosa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now you're out on the East Coast. Um, what's your experience been so far? So, I mean, the short version of, of the airline is, you know, Andrew Levy, who'd been, well, you know, one of the, one of the co-founders of, of Allegiant, and then he was CFO United, and has been so integral in the airline industry for the last, you know, 25 years, you know, wanted to kind of do something different, uh, you know, kind of create a model that was uh, certainly very low fare, low cost, but the, the notion was to inspire travel with low fares to small convenient airports. So typically small convenient airports get small jets and high fares. So the idea was to, to kind of try to do that differently. So Burbank made a lot of sense as the most convenient airport in LA. And then to places like Pasco and Santa Rosa and Eureka uh, and things like that, it's been super, super well received. And the momentum just keeps on going. I mean, these are pretty big planes, 730, 700s, and 800s yeah. to some of these cities that haven't typically had that. Some cases took a little while to kind of grow into that, but the markets come along. And so, uh, that, so that's what's been going on uh, out in the West. And that was in November of 21. And mm-hmm. then, um, I'm, I'm sorry, that was in April uh, of 21. And then by November of 21, we started New Haven, which was a sort of similar thing because New Haven didn't have any service at all. You've got several million people in kind of a Bermuda Triangle in Fairfield <laughs> yeah. County that, you know, if you've been up there to get to the airport, whatever airport you want, Hartford or LaGuardia or Kennedy, it's really difficult. We, you know, Yale is, is of course, you know, the most prominent, uh, you know, company institution in the area. And they told us that they have literally had uh, faculty that would come to interview at Yale that they wanted to hire who said, hey, you know, I like to travel on the weekends. I can't live here. It's it's too hard. Mm, so interesting. So it, it, it took off. You know, we started six cities to Florida. Took off great. Uh, the community, the state, uh, all, all the, the, you know, if you know Connecticut, you know, it's a collection of many small towns. Mm. Hundreds of small towns is Connecticut. And, uh, and and the reception has been wonderful, and so we're really grateful to the people of Connecticut, the leadership of Connecticut. So now we're up to 14 cities out out mm-hmm. of uh, New Haven, and so we've started adding new bases, Orlando, with some service to the Midwest, places like Lansing and Newport News, and then uh, it just kind of keeps going uh, from there. So we've got new bases uh, about to open up in Wilmington, Delaware, and Raleigh, 
Okay, and, uh, great. So we've got, you know, we're up to about a dozen, a dozen airplanes, and uh, we'll just keep going from here. Yeah. Well, a lot of our listeners, especially our international audience, they, they may not know uh, or have even heard of Velo, and you, you did a great job of explaining it. But could you take it a little bit further, a step further, and just explain, uh, is it daily service to these places? Is it multiple times a day? Is it just a couple times weekly? What like what What is the, sure. I guess, the business model for for our listeners so the the ones who don't know what a velo is they they have an idea you know i think if you kind of think of an allegiant which is several flights per week uh kind of finding the high demand times for leisure travelers put it together maybe with a JetBlue or southwest with a reputation for nice friendly service Mm -hmm. uh, and highly reliable um, you know, ex- accepting the recent Southwest, uh, you know, little issue, but you know, that happens <laughs> yeah. to everybody. We've, here we've talked about that uh, extensively. You know, that, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure you have. So, you know, so, so that, that's kind of, that's kind of what you, what you get with us. It's, um, it is, it is leisure destinations. Uh, we survey our customers pretty extensively. It is highly leisure. We're not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't really work for business travel. Uh, you know, you got to go at a certain time or, or multiple times per day. But I'll tell you what, um, as a famous politician said, Companies are people, and mm. when we talk to the people at these companies, they'll fly Delta, you know, during the week for business. But when it's their own money to fly mm. on vacation with their family to Disney World, they're going to look around, and and we're a really nice option for that kind of thing. We've got some flexibility on the days and things like that, so we get a lot of nice feedback, uh, you know, for for situations like that. So it's it's leisure several times a week, uh, you know, to these popular destinations and these small convenient airports could not be beat i mean you know it kind of gives you goosebumps you know when you when you fly out of lansing instead of detroit or <laughs> yeah. out of newport well, news instead of you know dca yeah well, yeah you know talk about goosebumps you're connecting these communities and for av geeks it gave me goosebumps when i saw an airliner land at my little town concord california this is like uh, i think it was psa back then right. when when we made plans to fly your airline doug texts me it's like Hey, they're launching um, inaugural service from Orlando to Dubuque, which is his hometown. So that's like that goosebump thing. We got to do it just because it's Dubuque. So. I, I'm still <laughs> like, as we're talking right now, I'm still getting goosebumps thinking about the fact because we've we've talked about Avello for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Like when when it was announced back in 2000, and Andrew Levy was going to be leading it. We've we've kind of followed the Avello story along with Breeze, and, yeah. and we we talked about how the pandemic is a perfect time right now to launch this new air service and, and you're primed for that recovery, which has been happening. And the fact that Avella chose right. Dubuque, uh, thank you. I mean, that, that is fantastic because Dubuque I, lost the air I service. I got to tell you, Andrew and our network team are so creative. I, I assure you a lot of us were surprised when Dubuque came up too. Yeah. There's no master plan <laughs> that had Dubuque <laughs> on the map, you know, a year ago, you know, circumstances kind of come together when it comes to network planning. It's art and science, mm. and uh, you know those things kind of move around and shift, and, and markets move and things. Uh, you know, American I think had just dropped out of Dubuque, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and it wasn't it wasn't looking good. But when you look at the cities around there, Cedar Rapids and Moline, and up to Madison and all, those airports do fantastically, and people drive from all over, and uh, and so yeah, you know, we're, was, we're flying to Cedar Rapids of, this afternoon. And, that, and we are we are very likely temporarily relocating our Dubuque service to okay. Cedar Rapids for okay. a few weeks until yeah. this thing gets resolved. But it, but it's a it's a terrific area. The people are fantastic, and and I will tell you the bookings have been excellent. So 
we're really Good. excited about it. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. Well, we, we've talked about Avella. Let's talk about you a little bit. You have quite the background in aviation, including positions at American, Continental, U.S. Airways, and Silver Airways. Do you consider yourself an av geek, or is this just a job for you? I'm not. I don't think I. I don't think I fit that term exactly. But I will say that when I was uh, a teenager that I would I'd go out to the airport quite a bit and I grew up in Phoenix and uh, I spent a lot of time mm. in Sky Harbor before mm. uh, you when you could get past security and, uh, <laughs> and I did get my I did get my dream job when I was 18 I worked on the ramp at Sky Harbor for American it was the first time they had hired in, uh, locally in Phoenix it's a very senior station it's the first mm-hmm. time they'd hired locally there in like 25 years and it was complete serendipity I grew up mm. in a very small town about 50 miles east of Phoenix and unbeknownst to me, the police chief's wife was a secretary at American at Sky Harbor. And when hmm. I walked the terminal and got applications from people and filled out the application and mailed it in, she opened it and hmm. she knew my family and I didn't even know she was there. And that was that was also the time when I walked over to Terminal 2 and got an application at U.S. Air, the old U.S., the very old U.S. Air. Yeah. Uh, the Sescofield U.S. Air, and the uh, senior gentleman at the ticket counter, when I said, hey, could I have a job application? He looked at me and said, for where, McDonald's? <laughs> <laughs> I should have run that guy down while I found him when I when I ended up uh, doing some other things at U.S. Airways. But um, but that's how it started. And so we had we had the wide bodies on the ramp uh, at Phoenix uh, in the late 80s when I started there. And, uh, and it was a terrific job. It was a lot of fun. And I learned more in those first four or five years at American on the ramp and at the ticket counter and at the gates at DCA where I went to college and, and then and then worked there, I learned more in those five years that still informs what I do today, every day in this job um, at Avello. Uh, it was it was it was critical for what I do. This is great to hear that you're an airline guy because you you've you've worked in the airline business for the last 25, 30 plus years. It's great to see people right. in leadership roles at airlines who are airline people, who right. don't just come from the finance world or the legal world or, or something like that. You cut your teeth on the ramp at Sky Harbor, and now you're helping lead this startup airline. And, and that's great to see that right. someone who loves, who right. knows and loves the industry is in these positions. Travis, so you went, you yeah, went from, no, yeah. you went from the operation to marketing. Where did that transition happen? Where you went from the operations um, side to the station side so, to marketing? Yep, yep. I I was uh, I graduated from George Washington in I think '92, and we were in the middle of a pretty deep recession. And I knew I wanted to get into airline management, but airlines were laying off. American was closing its uh, little regional headquarters in Nashville at the time, and so I went to grad school to you know take a little time out there. And uh, when I came out, I had met Andrew Nacella. When I was in college, mm-hmm. and Andrew, who's now the chief commercial officer at United, uh, was was just starting at Continental at okay. the time in the in the early '90s in network planning, working for Glenn Howenstein, mm-hmm. uh, who's now the president of Delta, of course. Yeah, it's, and, it's such a small uh, world. So that, it it is. So um, there was a uh, you know, we had so so I as I as I finished MBA school, uh, I went to Continental in Houston with Andrew. There were three of us in network planning: Scott Fisher. Uh, myself, um, and there was there was one other uh, young woman who was there who's no longer in the industry. But uh, my first, we at Continental was so poor at the time. This was just as Gordon Bethune was starting. Mm. We couldn't afford a chair for me, so my <laughs> oh, wow. first month 
<laughs> my first month, I sat in a comms closet on a stack of Air Transport World magazines. That was my that was my desk and chair. That so that's how I got into network, uh, which was incredibly challenging uh, as a as a as a young guy. You know, moving from the operation to working on Excel all day, mm-hmm. um, Lotus one two three at the time, <laughs> and it was and and once again a a tremendous. Uh, learning curve for that. And I mean, one piece of advice I give young people today is if you get a job where you figure it all out in the first couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you're not going to like it. It's going to mm-hmm. be boring and you're going to run right. out of gas really quick. You need a job that's going to take you six months to a year mm-hmm. to feel comfortable. And so, right. and I, I've had that happen to me over and over again. Uh, and maybe I'm just a slow learner, but <laughs> it's, it's a big challenge right out of the gate. And those turn out to be the best jobs. How has it, so you've worked for major carriers or larger carriers, network carriers, and now you're at a startup. Why did you decide to go to the startup route, and how is it different from a network carrier? Well, I mean, look, in all candor, it's, it's not – it sounds like you, know, you, you decide what you're going to do and you pick this path, and, I, and, I'm, and you know, I'm sitting here thinking, well, should I go work at you know, the big airline or the small airline? Well, things just kind of come along, and depending on where you are and what the needs are and, and who you know, what, what they're trying to do – and a lot of it does come down to relationships within whatever industry you're in. And, and I've tried hard to, to, to make a lot of friends in this business over the years. And so uh, depending on what they're doing and what the needs are um, at the time, you know, you know, stars kind of align. And I've done some things with Andrew over the years. You know, the idea of a startup, it's got all its pros and cons. You know, we all know what all those you know, kinds of things are. And, and that's true. The timing was so great because the idea of, of, uh, of, of making a startup airline work you got, we all know, is so, so hard. There's so much failure mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for all the reasons, but there are not many business plans that really make sense in the airline business. And we can all point to some real silliness, uh, you know, that's happened over the years where, where people, you know, and, and generally involves around spending too much and things mm-hmm. costing a lot more than people realize. But Andrew, uh, with his background, you know, ValueJet, Allegiant, United, uh, you know, he really obviously understands you know, what makes sense and what doesn't. And that's what it really comes down to. So this business plan that kind of, I kind of described a little bit at the beginning, um, and it, and, and it requires a very low cost, uh, platform, you know, mm-hmm. frankly, just from top to bottom, that is ri- We couldn't have gotten through these, uh, these high, uh, fuel prices that we've had over the last, you know, year, if we didn't have a really low cost base to begin with, and we have to yeah. keep it that way, there's just no way around it. We're not getting premium. You know, we're, we're not selling transatlantic life flats for ten thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't happen. So being in a startup is very different than you know one of the big guys for for those kinds of reasons, and it does take a different mindset. One of the best things about it, I'll tell you, is though we get to use a lot of ingenuity. We get to improvise. Yeah, that's and we great. use our experience. To do that, so many of us who've been at these other airlines, but it's not just the airline people. We've got plenty of people here who did come straight through finance from other industries or IT or other things, and and their experiences are just as valuable as our airline experiences. Mm-hmm. Yep, so absolutely. what's beautiful is is the team mixing these things together. You know, use your pick your own analogy, but um, th- that's where the real beauty is. And you know, once you've been around for a while, uh, you know, you you really can kind of relax a little bit and say, hey, it really is all about the team. It's not about me personally. What's good for me is good for everyone. And once people start to really get that attitude, it really gels. And, and there's a lot of leverage in that. 
out and then everybody's looking out for everybody else. When you're young and ambitious, you know, you might be focused on yourself a little bit more. But after a while, you kind of figure out, oh, yeah, this is this is good for all of us. And so we have a lot of people who think like that here. That's one of Andrew's big mantras uh, is this one crew, uh, you know, that we talk about a lot. And and it's really true and it's it's really helpful and, and, and it makes it a great uh a great culture. Last question. We're really looking forward to flying Velos sometime this year. And now that we have a $200 travel credit, where do you suggest we use it? Well, uh, you mentioned Santa Rosa. Mm-hmm. Always beautiful. If you happen to be out um, in the West, I would, yeah. I would definitely... I, I, I live an hour from Sonoma. Santa Rosa. Oh, you do? All right. You've seen all that. If you happen <laughs> to Bend, Oregon, I would, I would fly uh, Burbank to Bend. Bend is incredible. Mount Bachelor and, and, the, and downtown yeah. Bend. Mm-hmm is is unbelievable um let me think about a a few of the other places um that we're flying out of you know lexington from orlando is got a friend yeah we've got a friend one of our really good friends lives in in lexington Lexington. shout out to greg go when they're racing at keeneland you gotta go when they're and they're only for a few months i think in the spring watch those few months the keeneland experience is priceless so that's that's pretty fantastic. And then you know, if you can get to New Haven, if you haven't been around Connecticut much, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's a lot to see around Connecticut. It is a beautiful place. The people are fantastic, and it's a fun area to get to know. Oh cool. man, we were hoping for one destination. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, we don't mean, have time for that. Oh, no. With a two hundred dollar oh, no. travel, come on, you guys are non revs. Yeah, yeah, you guys are non revs. You can do anything. Well, yeah, and go to a, and go to a, go to a mon on a certain airline that just started flying there. By the way, oh Petra. yeah, yeah, I've, yeah, I've heard amazing things yeah, about. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, but spectacular. Travis, I, I got to mention something. So we talk about this a lot. Have, you've heard of leisure travelers, right? Business leisure. Right. So you're talking about yes. a Velo, and you're focusing on the leisure market. We don't think it's just leisure. It's people that are working from home that are flying a Velo, and they're going to work from Bend or wherever. We right? we think so too. I will tell you, we have done. We do, as, as I mentioned, we do a lot of passenger surveys. And we ask a lot of things, and we try. We have tried to zero in on that and ask people that question. They're not telling us that as much as we expect, and maybe we're just not hmm. asking it in the right way. Because mm-hmm. I believe you, that is definitely that's got to be happening. So we'll yeah. continue to we'll continue to work on that one. But I, I, you you got to be right. But we're we're still trying to find a little more evidence. So we lied. Uh, one more question: Is there anything else you want to tell our listeners about your great little airline? I would just say that uh, it, we we appreciate our our customers and their response to the new airline so much. You know, it takes a little bit of faith to fly a new airline when it comes to town when you haven't heard of it. It's a big challenge for us to let people know we're here. We're not on Expedia. We're not in Saber. You've got to go to aveloair.com to find us. But the responses we get back uh, on social media and directly back to us are really wonderful and it's really validating a lot of what we're trying to do. And so, uh, you know, we, we hope to, if we're not in your town already, uh, you know, hopefully we get there for you. That's what we will keep doing. Just keep doing our thing and, um, and keep running a great operation and having a good time while we do it. Yeah. And for the listeners, the way that happens, the way it gets to your town is go fly a velo, fly the Mm -hmm. drive somewhere else, fly them and and just show, show the company that you've got that, that loyalty to them and, and things will fall into place. But Travis, thank you so much true. for thank you so much for the great recovery on our trip. While we're really disappointed that we couldn't try a Velo, but as we usually do, we turned it into a great Avgeek experience. Anyways, 
or we hopefully will turn it into a great AvGeek experience, depending on how this FAA ground stop goes today. It was supposed to be lifted. Every day is a new adventure. It was supposed to be lifted 34 minutes ago, which is when we started uh, recording. We haven't looked at the news yet. We haven't tracked our flight yet. We're going to get an Uber to the airport in like five minutes as soon as we finish recording. So hopefully it will be a great AvGeek adventure. We're going to record about it later so the listeners can hear it. Don't do it, you guys. The airport is going to be a madhouse. All the oh, no, it will. Boards no, with all the yeah. cancels. Okay, all these boards with cancels. No. All these people are going to be there. That's okay, but that's podcast gold. Right? And we're, we're, rev- <laughs> we're, we're revenue today. We're, we're on revenue tickets today. So at least we've got well, that. okay. Supposedly. We'll all see. Right. Yeah, Hold we on. Have... I'm going to look it up here. I'll, I'll give you guys a trick. Okay. On aveloair.com, mm-hmm. if you go to flight status. Okay. And you don't put in any flight. You okay. just hit see flight status without putting anything in. You yeah. get all of them. You can see our entire day. So we have a delayed flight <laughs> okay. out of Orlando to Binghamton yes. and a delay. Well, that's the other direction. And a Fort Lauderdale that was doing something. But we've only really got two flights. Only got Dubuque, Orlando. So okay. we might so be we flying like a velo anyway. It's a light day for us. It's a super light day for us you yeah. know, so because it's a day of week. On Wednesdays, we don't. We've got an incredibly light schedule, so we really lucked out. Well, Travis, thanks for joining us, especially in the middle of this FAA issue that's going on. We're sure you have a lot of work ahead of you today, so we'll let you go. But this was so much. This was a lot more fun than I expected. So, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, for being yeah, with us. yeah. No, anytime. If I can help you guys anyway, definitely let me know. Thanks again for hopping on. This was awesome. All right, good talk to you guys. All right, Doug. We've been teasing our trip for the last couple of weeks, and even featured LCC history as our opening topic this week. The trip didn't quite turn out how we expected it to, so let's jump right into our recap. As we mentioned with Travis's interview, a velo didn't work out, but we were able to make it into something awesome, and it was it was so much fun. I, I think the I think flying a velo the inaugural still would have been more fun, but we did what we always do, and we turned it into something great. I, the whole idea was we have to get to Orlando and then we have to get to Cedar Rapids, yeah. Iowa because we had positive uh, we had revenue tickets leaving yeah. Cedar Rapids mm-hmm. and we said eventually somehow we have to get to Cedar Rapids yeah. and the first the, the, the goal was to get to Orlando we said let's still get to Orlando and we'll figure out how to get from Orlando to Cedar Rapids so we can tie off this loop I figured that you were probably just going to meet me in Orlando, or meet me somewhere. What, no, what, in, in typical airline employee non-red fashion, what did you, what did no, you I mean, do? I'm on 10 employees, basically. So I actually got the day off before, and I was actually going to come to San Francisco the day before, but um, I felt guilty. <laughs> so I actually came the day of. So this is on Monday, I believe? Yeah, Monday. Yeah, so Monday, I flew from the east coast to san francisco to meet doug so even before we started our official trip i had actually flown what was it almost six hours already <laughs> but it was okay because i wanted to be tired because our first flight officially as we start our trip was san francisco to newark and then newark to orlando to get to orlando yeah well, I, I, I cheated a little bit because uh, when I was talking to Marissa, she said, I don't want you gone four days. Three days is the max. 
I, I cheated because we found a red eye that left just after midnight on Monday, which technically was the fourth day, or, or the, I guess the start of the trip, which put it four days. Well, that was our overnight accommodation. And, for I night left, and I left after everyone was in bed. So it really was, like I'd say cheating, it really was not. It, it was, I was playing the system. I, I knew what I could do. Which, which, which is why we met there. We went to the Captain Cook Club, we had some drinks, we had some dinner, and then it was great because we flew business class on a 777-300 on our airline. Yeah. We slept, I, I, I mean... We slept three hours solid. I slept and three I hours sleep straight. And, and normally, like, I toss and turn. I don't sleep well on the airplane, like, even in the nice seats. I... I, I think I told you, I fell asleep facing one direction, and I don't think I turned for three hours. I think I slept like a rock for three hours, and I woke up when the cabin lights came on. All right, they were 15, preparing the cabin for 15 minutes prior to landing. It was fantastic. Well, that's why we chose this. You know, and I, I didn't mind flying all that all those hours because I wanted to be tired by the time we got on that transcon yeah. back, right? Because I wanted to sleep. And sure enough, I slept for three hours. I've never slept that long on a domestic no. flight ever. And how do you feel on Tuesday? I felt fine. Yeah, I, I felt great. We, we didn't even take a nap when we got to Orlando. So we got to Newark. We went to what we call the Williams and Sonoma <laughs> Club for breakfast. We talked about this last week. It, it was great. I mean, we, we slept well on the flight. We went to the club for breakfast. And then we flew a Max 8 to Orlando. And that was awesome, too, because that was, awesome. that was my... I, I had flown the Max 8 as a pilot when I was on the Guppy. Mm-hmm. But this was my first time as a passenger on the Max 8, which has our brand-new cabin, which was fantastic. The... Boeing sky interior, the Seaback screens, the the Apple or the uh, Bluetooth headphones. It was it was awesome. It was, it was yeah. a great experience. The IFV was international wide body quality IFV, mm-hmm. right? It yeah, really good. it was great. So we get to Orlando at like noon. We get in, in the Uber and we're to the hotel by 12.30, freshened up. Mm-hmm. And by one o'clock, we're ready to go out we had the entire night because we didn't leave until 12 something. Yeah, we had 24, 24 hour layover in, in Orlando. Yeah, so we're like, what are we going to do? We're in Orlando. To be honest, we didn't really care that much. I mean, I didn't care. I was just happy to be someplace that was warm. Palm trees, sun, palm trees. warm breeze. Yeah, in the dead of winter. Yeah. <laughs> so we decided to walk from our hotel to Disney Springs, which is like downtown Disney. It used World, to be called downtown Disney. It's, it's a bunch of restaurants, bars, stores, shopping area. Anyone who's been to Disney probably has been to Disney Springs or it used to be called downtown Disney. Yeah, so if you have a layover in Orlando, just go there and walk around. It's like you're in Disney World, but you don't have to pay the $150 mm-hmm. ticket price or whatever whatever it is now. We gravitate towards anything aviation themed, so we're like, where should we have our first drink if we see something called the Hangar Bar? And we were there twice. Well, we, we went there for lunch. We had lunch and drinks. And then we walked around for a bit. And we tried to find other things to do. And I, I don't think that this is because it was the hangar bar. It was just a, it was a great it was a great restaurant. But we wanted bar. an outdoor place to sit. Yeah, exactly. But we gravitated back. I, I think what happened was we didn't really find any any place that we wanted to stay long term. And we happened to walk back by the hangar bar. I think we both had the same thought at the same time, and we both looked at each other. And we're like, "Do you just want to go back and?" <laughs> and we spent the rest of this the rest of the evening sitting there. And this place is awesome. If if you guys go to Disney Springs, you have to go because it's aviation themed. Yeah. And there's a behind the bar. There's a giant map. Look, that's why I wanted to go back. Let's uh, let's sit at the bar and micro micro judge. <laughs> right. Let's judge their route, and that's what we did. We went back. Someone a non happy. 
had this big map of the world, and they had drawn lines like this was some airline. What was it? It was called Transglobal Airlines. Transglobal. Some mm-hmm. fictitious airline. We'll, we'll post these pictures. Yeah, and you'll see. After after about an hour, we gave up because it, the map was so. It, it, it was, was bad. It wouldn't was, be a profitable airline. No, that that airline. I, I, well, part of the reason why there is no Transglobal Airlines anymore is probably because of that route map. <laughs> that was their business plan. <laughs> we'll post it. You guys have to look at the photos because it was, it was really bad. So we woke up the next morning to the FAA ground stop. But as I mentioned, we got the notification on the phone and that we were watching all the news and everything. And we're like, well, we have to still get to the airport. And like, well, you know, before, you, we both went into full app geek mode. You went to flight radar. You were able to find where the airplane was coming mm-hmm. from. Yeah. I wasn't worried about it. Of course, I, I was looking forward to doing this low-cost thing. And yes, we did have confirmed reservation from Cedar Rapids to Denver. But in my mind, I was thinking, if worse comes to worse and we get stuck here for a day, we can just use our benefits to get back to Denver. Oh, yeah. And then pick up with the rest of the trip Yeah, I wasn't there. worried about it. We would lose the low-cost thing, most likely. But at least I'm not having to call Marissa and say, hey, I'm days late because of... of all this. So we get to the airport. We it, it was it was crazy at the airport, I would say. We saw the screens, uh, all the departure screens, delays, cancellations, pretty much every flight had some sort of red next mm-hmm. to it, like long delay or cancellation. We couldn't even get into the priority pass lounge for oh, an right, hour yeah. because it was so packed and, the, and there were people just everywhere at the airport. So we got to see this firsthand. Yeah. We had to see it play out. So we get into the lounge, and that's kind of like the end of our normal Doug and Drew travel experience, because then then it was on to the low cost carriers. But we but we, we were jo- actually revenue. We were, we were revenue, but we joked about it because we were sitting in the lounge, and all we saw were spirit lounges, mm-hmm. and we joked that it was the spirit, the spirit, the spirit lounge. Of course, spirit doesn't have lounges because they're ultra low cost. Yeah. So here's a pro tip: when you go to book your flight on one of these carriers where you have to pay for everything. Look at the seat map. And they will everything's a charge. It's thirteen dollars for an aisle seat. It, it, it's, it's a charge. Or you cannot choose a seat and you get what you get. And we both saw that this flight that we were on on Spirit was wide open. Mm-hmm. So sure enough we check in, one of us got a window and just randomly the other person got the seat next to I don't know how we got I wonder, seats. I wonder if it's because we checked in at the same time. Right? Like, even though we were not on the same PNR, the same ticket, we checked in within seconds of each other. And it probably was just their randomized system to assign it to us. Let's talk about the app. Like, both, both of us. Well, first of all, the, the, booking, the booking experience on Spirit was a breeze. It was great. But, they, of course, they were trying to upsell you things. And we were laughing about it because in the Uber on the way to the airport... I got a text saying, do you want to upgrade to the big front seats? Click here. Yeah. So it's like, even, even on the way to the airport, they're trying to so s- still. squeeze money out of us. Yeah, no, I thought the app was great. But once again, we saw that that was wide open. We both have carry-ons that on our airline, we don't worry about checking because they fit under the seat. So I had a problem paying for a carry-on that I'm not using the overhead bin space. Because my understanding is that You're shoving it under the seat, which yeah. you're, you're not eating up the space. I'm not eating up anyone's... So we did not... Neither of us bought the carry-on no. charge. And we boarded it with no issue. And it's wide open. So, it, you know, so the lesson here is if you see that it's wide open, I wouldn't pay for a seat. Just get what you get when you check in. When you're on the plane, they're going to let you move on. Yeah. And I, from our experience, I, I fully went in expecting the quote-unquote spirit experience. And I... I I hate saying that. It was not 
bad at all. Not bad it, at all. It was, it was very organized in the game. Mm-hmm. The, the boarding process. Not once did they have us. They, they had the bins to size your luggage, mm-hmm. but they made no announcement about that. No one had to size their luggage. Do you think that's because it was wide open? I'm wondering if maybe that is. I, I, I don't know. If, if anyone who's flown Spirit, let us know. In fact, like, Jerry and I were talking. We kept, this was kind of like a cheating Spirit experience, yeah. because there uh, it was an A319, and there were only probably 40 people on board, so it wasn't very full. I, I, I'm wondering if it was a different Spirit experience because it was not full, but it wasn't bad at all. The gate agents were friendly, we boarded, the flight attendants were friendly, 28 inches seat pitch is 28 inches seat pitch. It was tight, but it was not terribly uncomfortable for an hour and a half flight, I would say. No, and as far as the legroom, we're both about six feet tall. It wasn't great, but our knees were not touching the other seat. But mm-hmm. someone like Greg, shout out to Greg in Lexington, we took him in business and he complained about the... It, yeah, not having the legroom. But Greg is freakishly tall. It's not a normal... I don't think Greg, yeah, Greg, my dad, my dad is a few inches taller than me. He would not have been comfortable in that yeah. seat. But the, the seat was, as you mentioned, slightly pre-reclined. Mm-hmm. It was definitely a slimline seat. Like, there was not a lot of padding. But for the two hours that we sat on there, it, was, it wasn't uncomfortable, I would say. It was, and, and there's no recline, but they, they are all a little bit reclined. Yeah, pre, pre-reclined. pre-reclined. Mm-hmm. We, we took off from Orlando. We were going to Nashville. It was in 1819. Got airborne. They walked through the cabin. Nothing was free. The drinks, if you want a can of Coke, you have to pay $3.50. They got like a menu in the seat pocket. So we get there, or get airborne, and... Apparently, Buzz Balls, which is which, I didn't even know what that which was is a, before. A, a liquor. A, one of our friends told us that a Spirit, I guess, is known for selling Buzz Balls, and that's like their shtick, their thing. So we got a margarita and a pina colada, and we each had half of one uh, on the flight. <laughs> it, it was okay. So I go to buy the Buzz Balls for us, and I hand them our company um, marketed credit card, and the Spirit flight attendant was like. Really, <laughs> <laughs> but that's when they kind of warmed up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, because we're joking with them, and, and then they're they're really friendly. The rest of the flight was fine. We landed. Uh, we we did take off a little bit late, and the captain was apologetic, and he made the comment, "Sorry with the FAA stuff that was going on. Think there are some rolling delays today. We apologize that you're a little bit late, but it was fine. Mm-hmm. We got to Nashville. Uh, the big construction in Nashville." So A and B terminals are not connected to C and D inside security right now. It will be when the construction is done. We were connecting from Spirit to Allegiance, and we had to go outside security, walk over to the Allegiance terminal, and then go back into security. That was fine. Security wasn't bad. And then we got some amazing barbecue. We had some amazing barbecue. I'm trying. Oh, there it is. Was this the name? Of the no, name? that's that's a liquor. Uh, okay, well we'll get you the name. Oh, uh, it's right there. Do you see it? Oh yeah, good catch. All right, so if you have a long layover in um, Nashville, go eat at Puckett's. P U C K E T T S. So I had like a very authentic Southern barbecue beef brisket, collard greens, macaroni and cheese, um, coleslaw. You had some kind of what, what was I that? had a, it was a mac and cheese with some sort of like a barbecue pulled pork like on, on the top of the mac and cheese. It was delicious. And as true abgates, we wanted to sit at the bar because the bar had windows that overlooked the tarmac. 
Florida's all a bunch of planes coming and going, but there's only one seat available. So Drew sits at the seat. I'm breathing down these this couple neck <laughs> next to us. And the bartender was like, oh, guys, you can just go sit up there. We're like, no, we want to sit here so that we can yeah, look, at, look at the airplanes because we're trying to gain our advocate points for the listeners. But it was awesome because we ended up just chatting talking with, this, them, yeah. talking with this couple. They were traveling down to Fort Lauderdale. They, they traveled frequently. They said they want to travel more. Mm-hmm. Uh, we told them about the podcast. Shout out, guys, if, if you're listening. It was great talking to you. And it was funny because he said, well, my girlfriend's in the bathroom. She'll be right back, and then we're going to leave. We can have our seat. Yeah. We left before them, and we were there for like an hour. Right. So they stayed and just chatted with us the whole time. It was fantastic. Yeah, that was great. All right, so Nashville. I was very impressed by Nashville, how big it is. I really think that is prime territory for one of these airlines to open another another focus city. A focus city, definitely. Yeah. yeah. All right, then. So we got to Nashville, and now we're connecting on Allegiant. I was really... You know, of the three, I was most excited about this because I work for Reno Air. Allegiant has been there, seems to have been here longer, or maybe not, I don't know. But I feel like Allegiant seemed like Reno Air to me because they were like Vegas-focused and seemed like they were flying people around the West. So we boarded another A319. Spirit was an A319. This was a 319. It was a little older. You could tell by the airplane that it was a little older. The cabin, yeah, the cabin was dated. Cabin was dated. The seats were exactly the same kind of seat as on Spirit, but you had a bigger tray table, no seat pocket. Flight attendants were friendly. I just couldn't explain. I, they just seemed more engaged with the customer. Yeah, they did. I, I was actually very impressed. I, I was impressed with Spirit. I was very impressed with Spirit. Yeah. And I think, it, like, it was the people because the product itself was identical. Same seat, same beverage menu, same everything. Like you said, a little bit older, seemingly interior of the airplane. But the crew is what makes everything. The crew was so friendly. It was awesome. Like it actually was a great flight, I would say. And yep. shout out, shout out to the crew. We talked to the pilots. We talked to yeah. the flight attendants. We gave them some goodies yeah. from our company. It was, it was, it was great. But in true ULCC fashion, they also have a signature drink that mm-hmm. they sell. What do we have? We on had over? an apple pie moonshine. It, it was really good. It was, good. it was very good. Yeah. Yeah, so that was Allegiant. Um, so we land in Cinco Rapids, where the temperature is about 30 degrees Fahrenheit. 30, so below freezing. So looking outside, the rampers are coming up to meet us, and I see the guide person. It's wearing shorts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's January in Iowa, in the upper Midwest, and this dude is wearing shorts. And we're just laughing about that. And, uh, yeah, so this is a theme about Cedar Rapids Airport. So we're walking out, and we're passing by a baggage claim, and I'm like, those are the people that just met, just worked the flight on the ramp. Yeah, they're, they're not working baggage claim. They, went, they went back out to work baggage claim. It's just a small, <laughs> small town airport, small town airline. Uh, yeah. And then um, the Uber, so get in the Uber, it's like, wow, this is, must be a warm day because people on the ramp are wearing shorts. And he's like, no, it is a warm day. It was it was almost 50, he said. Yeah. He was like, I have my window open right now because it still feels so nice here. And mm-hmm. you, that was your first time in Iowa, so mm-hmm. you got a taste of what I grew up with. And it was, like, <laughs> it was that cold. This morning it was gray and kind of foggy and just bone-chilling temperatures. That, that's the upper Midwest, I'll tell you. It's gorgeous during the summer. Winter, not so much. <laughs> we went to Iowa City, which is where the University of Iowa is. It's a college town. It 
What were your thoughts? Oh, I loved it. I, I love these little towns. It's like a slice of life, you know, and it's like a microcosm of that area, the people that we meet and the food. I'm sure it's like that in these small towns all over that area. Yeah. Right? So um, we're meeting up with Doug's friend, Nick, and he tells us to meet him at this place. You called it the aviation bar, but that was wrong. It was actually the, the airliner bar. And I'm like, oh, great. So, you know, he's putting us in this box where we have to have... And I'm like, it has to be aviation theme. Yeah, and to be honest, I was almost hoping it wasn't because we went to the hangar bar in Orlando. People are going to think we're so one-sided. But anyway, so we meet at the airliner bar. It is the oldest bar in Iowa City. Mm-hmm. And he invited us there, not because it's aviation theme, it's because it has really good pizza. And it's, it's actually a very nice place. It was great atmosphere. And like you were talking about the small town, you could go to a bar in D.C. You could go to a, a restaurant in San Francisco, New York, pick, pick a major city, and you're not going to connect. You might, but a lot of times you're not going to connect with the staff. You're not going to be able to sit there and have a conversation. It, first of all, Nick, if you're listening, it's awesome seeing you. Thank, you. thank you for the suggestion. But after, after the pizza, we, we were just sitting in the booth and we went to the bar. And we sat and chatted with both the bartenders for a good two hours, hearing life stories. She was a senior at University of Iowa, majoring in psychology. psychology. And we chatted for two hours, and it was, it was awesome. And you just, you, that's what you get in small towns. You don't always get that. I'm not, I'm not saying never, but you don't always get that in major cities where you can talk with them for hours and get their life story. Well, and I feel like you're all of a sudden fast friends. Yeah, and everyone in that bar, maybe not 100%, but at least 90% of the people that were in there, they all knew each other. Yeah. <laughs> it was like cheers. Yeah, you know, they and, and they, they were employees. The two of the guys sitting next to us, they were employees. They were off, but they're like, yeah, we'll just go hang out at the bar with our friends. Like, mm-hmm. And we know all these people, and it was, it was awesome. It was so much fun. Yeah, so great night in Iowa City. So if you, you are in Iowa City, you have to visit the airliner bar. And what if, when we give you guys these ideas, and you actually go to these places, send us a picture. Send us a picture. But then it was time for the final event, right? Which was the Frontier flight from Cedar Rapids to Denver. What were your thoughts on that? It was interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll say of the three, it probably was my least favorite well it was 100 percent. it was almost almost 100 percent full but we so we get to the gate and the first announcement that the, again we're, we're not ragging on the airline we're, we're just being objective here the first announcement that the gate agent makes is telling everyone to come size their bags yeah. and they had these bins and everyone then stumbles up and they have to size the bags and if it doesn't fit into one of one of the bins then you you either have to pay for a check bag or pay for a carry-on, including your backpack, which goes under the seat. Yeah, so instead of, hey, welcome to uh, Flight so- uh, Frontier so-and-so to Denver, it's, hey, if you have a bag, come up here, and you know, if you haven't paid, so that's the first taste of the flight, mm-hmm. is them giving you rules and regulations. Yeah. Not great, but the flight was fine. Well, was- let, let's go back to paying for the bag. You were, you were, you had, I, when I purchased my ticket, mm-hmm. I bought the bag ahead of time because yeah. I, I read on the website, even a backpack is considered a carry-on that you have to pay for. To be honest, if we didn't buy the bag and I just bought it, because I've flown Frontier before from um, Fargo to Denver and they didn't pay and it was a back, big backpack that I always have and they didn't even flinch. 
But then this time, I was so taken aback by the announcement. I'm like, wow, they're not playing. So I paid for that charge. And you had paid earlier, so you got a little bit of a discount. I got a $4 discount, but the, the still is not cheap. It was it, it was almost as much as yeah. That's where people people see a $70 fare on Frontier or Spirit or mm-hmm. Allegiant or any of these. And they think, oh, that's a steal of a deal. But then you have to pay for a lot of things. And the carry-on bag was $64. Yeah. So my fare was $74. So if you see a $74 fare, just know you are going to be spending about $150. The network carriers might be more expensive. They might be $300 or $400. Or they might be closer to how much we ended up paying. Yeah. So just just know all that before you look for the cheapest price. Because the bigger carriers are not going to charge you for a carry-on that will fit under your seat. Unless you're your basic economy. Be careful about how, how you book. So we get on board. It's my first time on an A320 Neo. We were talking about the overhead bins. It's the old-style, low-hanging overhead bins. And we were surprised that they didn't put the new... I don't know what Airbus calls it. I know Boeing, but the sky in here. But the, uh, airspace. The, airspace. The bins that drop down out of the ceiling that have a lot more space. Yeah. It's, it makes the cabin look more open. Yeah. This airplane wasn't that old. It's a Neo. And I was surprised that it had a, a, the older type interior yeah no it was very basic like the two planes we flew before it were dated a319 this was an a320 neo didn't notice much of a difference Mm -hmm. once again the same seat small tray table like spirit they did have a seat pocket which was nice um i think that the water was free the water was free yeah yeah so it was it was a same type product where they came through the aisle, offered to sell you Coke or a drink or coffee. We, we got coffee. Coffee was like $3.50 or something, which I mean, it's what you're going to pay at a restaurant anyways. But they were very friendly. And the guy also said, if you guys want more coffee, just let me know. Oh, okay. Because I, they brewed the pot. And I don't know if other people ordered coffee on the flight, but I, I don't think that he was going to charge us if we wanted to fill up the coffee again, which that, that's great. I mean, friendly crew. The flight, the flight was great. It was very quiet. The Neo, I noticed, was very quiet. Engine started to take off, all, all of it. A very nice airplane. Oh, we have to mention it. So, the local yokels as Matt. <laughs> yes. So, the guy that was meeting our Allegiant flight in shorts, so 30 degrees Fahrenheit, was also working on the ramp for this other airline for Frontier in his shorts <laughs> at 30, 32, degree, 32 degrees. And I'm like, so it's just three or four guys that are working on this Yeah, yeah, it was so funny because Drew was like, oh, get a picture, we have to compare. Is that the same guy? And I, I was able to get one because I was sitting by the window. Yes, we compared it was the same person from last night. And then we had to get the ice because there was um, they had some icing coming in and I was telling Doug, it's like, Please tell me that the ice person is short <laughs> working, every, working everything. Yeah. One thing I was not concerned about was safety or professionalism Correct. on any of these flights. Great announcements from the pilots. It, it felt just like flying our airline mm-hmm. in terms of keeping us up to date with everything. We were a little bit delayed out of Cedar Rapids. He made announcements about mm-hmm. that. Yeah, it was, it was very good. And all three landings awesome and it's because well so you came from the 737 and you know the 737 landings are very um, abrupt mm-hmm. right because you have to fly faster because you don't want to tail strike yeah that's just the way it is but Airbuses can fly slower have a, a bigger flare 
so you have a nice softer touchdown. But yeah, they're all all good landing. Yeah. As we mentioned, we're sitting here in Denver now, which I, I guess we probably should have said this earlier. Francis, especially, we apologize about the, back, the background noise. This is not the first time that I have recorded from this particular club. We do apologize, but we're like, you know what? Marissa would be mad at me if we did this entire trip and then I had to record tomorrow when we're not together. So we're, this is the only time that, that we had to do this. But we are back to our normal travel pattern, I guess you could say, where we're in a we're lounge. We're back to our comfort zone. We're in a lounge. We're going to fly our, our last flight here to San Francisco. It's business on a triple seven. Yeah. So that'll be a nice. It'll be um, a, a nice cherry on top to the end of the trip. But we've been talking about this low-cost carrier trip for year, several years now. I'm glad we finally did it, and the experience was was excellent. I mean, yeah, I, I, that sound that makes it sound like we were going in thinking it was going to be awful, and that's not what, what we're meaning to say. The the crews were the ones who made it. The, the people, the employees, yeah. they were the ones who made it a great experience. Again, the product is what it is, 28 inches, seat pitch, having to pay for a lot of things. But that, when you when you fly Frontier, when you fly Spirit, when you fly Allegiant, you know that that's what you're going to Well, hopefully most people know that that's what you are going to have to do. If you have a, if you have great employees, that lessens the, the stain, I guess you could say, of the onboard product. I will say, if you're only traveling a couple times a year and they're to vacation destinations, it's a very good value. But if you are flying all the time, you have, you have more needs because you're usually traveling for business and you want a space to, like, we are at a lounge mm -hmm. to work and, you know, these bigger airlines have lounges and stuff. And you want more flexibility because if a flight cancels on one of these carriers, they don't have another flight in a couple hours. Yeah. So just some things to think about. Yeah. But anyway, I, I was impressed. I think we had a great time. The crews were great. Safe flights. So, um, oh, but having said that, before we finish, we have $200 credit on a Velo. We do. And Travis was saying, he was mentioning Bend, Oregon. So we yeah, still have we might, to do a might try, might try and do that. But maybe just one ULCC. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to string a bunch together. No, All right. This is an awesome trip. All right, before we end this week, we have a little listener feedback to mention. We received a great message from our listener, Donovan. What did he say, Doug? Yeah, he said, good morning, Doug and Drew. I just, just listened to your Southwest episode and loved it, just as I have loved every episode for three years. I can't believe it, that I've been listening that long. I will say that it's been hard for me to listen sometimes, but I still have. I'm a huge aviation enthusiast and wanted to become a pilot. I love listening to you. Not a single bad episode, but not working in the in but not working in the industry myself made it hard since I'm not working in the industry I love. But I'm super happy to say that on January 3rd, I accepted a ramp supervisor position with one of the big four airlines. I will say that listening to you made it possible to continue my pursuit to become an airline employee. Staying aviation tough made it possible. So I just wanted to say thank you and please keep up all the great topics and episodes coming. So he actually wrote to us, he wrote this to us, and we've had a few people tell us that they changed their career plans thanks to us. Yeah. That means so much. And even if it turns out it's not for you, you will know that you tried right because it's your love. We have a listener turned friend now, Eric, who just joined one of the major carriers. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy. It's in the middle of winter in Detroit. And but he loves it. it. He's loving it. Yeah. <laughs> and he talks our ear off every time we can about his job. Yeah. Yep. yep. Donovan, congratulations. That's awesome. It really brought a tear to, uh, yeah. to both of our eyes. 
Drew, thanks for an awesome trip. Listeners, thanks for sticking with us. To all of our listeners, this podcast is your show, so go on our website, nextripnetwork.com. Let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it, or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Yeah, it was indeed an awesome trip. Um, shout out again to Travis from Avello, who joined us to tell us about uh, Avello. You'll be hearing more about them from us. Thanks to all, all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. While the fares are usually quite a bit lower, the term actually stems from the fact that these while the fares are usually quite a bit lower, the term actually stems from the fact that these types of airlines have lower cost structures. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> while the fares are usually quite a bit lower, the term this is where you usually cough. <laughs> <laughs> okay.